Hello, hey. All right, let me get my affairs in order. How are you guys? Oh, there's some life out there. I'm good, yes. Awesome. Um, this, is like my, this is like my journal Bible, isn't it huge? It's like making this rock a little bit. Um, I might actually pop that there. Um, oh. So... Good morning. For those of you who uh, don't know me, my name is Kat. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, we are continuing our series on Colossians. Um, so this is number seven, I think, today. Um, so we are, we are working our way. Do I need to move it down? Yes, the mask Take keeps. Okay. Excuse, Excuse us, everybody. Just talk amongst yourselves. There we go. Oh, it moves back. I didn't yeah, know that. that. There, there we, we go. Oh, hi. <laughs> uh, yeah, so this is number seven uh, in our, let me just turn this on while I remember, um, in our series on Colossians. I would really encourage you, if you have missed any, um, if you have missed any at home as well, um, then do go back and, uh, and catch up. They are all online on our Facebook page, YouTube. Um, yeah, do catch up uh, and... Uh, yeah, catch up on what you've missed. It helps to give some context for, the, for today and for the ones that follow as well. So I just wanted to ask you guys briefly before we get started. Like we've, We have been talking in this series about how the purpose of Bible study is not, just, is not to fill our heads with information and knowledge. It's not just for that, but it's to lead our hearts into revelation. And so I would love to ask you guys in the room and you guys at home, if you have got any moments or stories where you have been listening to these talks, you've been reading this in the Bible, and, um, and God has just really highlighted something for you that you have never seen before, and it's like it's caused an impact and a work of God in your life, we would love to hear from you. Um, so please email, actually I didn't even prep which email address to send this to, email one of the pastors, Kat, <laughs> Chris, at nick, at ashervineyard.org. We would love to, we would love to hear from you. Um, so if you have got your Bible, um, either paper form or online, um, turn with me to um, Colossians chapter 2. Um, we are looking at verses 6 to 10 today. And it's going to come up on the screen as well. So then, this is the NIV version, by the way. Um, so then, just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. Mic drop moment there. Okay. 
So if we remember uh, from last week on Father's Day, Chris spoke brilliantly on the first five verses of chapter two, where we saw Paul being like a dad to the Colossians. He's contending for them, he's praying for them, he's fighting for them, he's championing them and encouraging them. And here as we look at the first two verses, I'm not doing a very good job um, with keeping up. Thanks, Ethan, appreciate it. Um, As we look at the first two verses, verses six and seven, we can see that Paul continues to father the Colossians through encouragement and direction. And what he's doing in these verses is he's bringing the Colossians right back to their foundations, which is Jesus Christ is Lord. Woo, indeed. So (laughs) beautifully dimed. Um, What I have loved about like picking not just these two verses apart, but just the the whole four verses that we're looking at today, is I've really enjoyed um, learning about the different puns and play on words that Paul uses to get his message across. He was clearly a very clever man. And one of the things that he would often do is he would take secular words which that were associated with like the Roman Empire and culture, and he would flip them on their head and give them a new meaning. And unfortunately, due to changes in culture and times, that's gotten a little bit lost on us. But it's really, really important context. We're just going to look at that just a moment now. So the words Lord and Saviour and Son of God, they were familiar language to the residents of the Roman Empire. So in around 44 BC, the Roman uh, Emperor Julius Caesar was Caesar was assassinated. And later that year, when a comet was seen in the night sky, Caesar's adopted son um, and heir promoted the idea that this was a sign that Caesar was on his way to heaven. So a couple of years later, around 42 BC, Roman law made Caesar a god. And so his heir, his, his heir's status when he took, so he took on the name Augustus, he also gave himself the title Son of God. People were then urged amongst the Roman Empire to have faith in their lord, the emperor, who would preserve peace and bring wealth and stability. And that was widely circulated across the Roman Empire as the gospel, the good news, that the emperor, the lord, had established such peace and security. So even in this first sentence, just as you have received Jesus Christ as Lord, he's taken the words associated in secular culture to refer to the Roman emperor, and he's reminded you them, you have received the true Lord Jesus. And he goes on a bit later in verses 9 and 10 to expand on this, so we'll just put a pin in that for the moment. Now, we don't often use the phrase around here, you've received Jesus. We more often use the language of you've said yes to Jesus, and that's essentially what Paul is meaning. So Paul goes on to encourage them, and we can hear him as we're reading this. We can hear him cheering us on as well. And he's saying, remember how you said yes to Jesus and accepted him as your Lord. So keep going. Live in him. Be rooted in him. Be built on him and made strong in your faith. Now, this is all imagery that we might be fairly familiar with because Jesus used a lot of imagery around 
roots and around building. If we, we might think back to the parable of the sower where the farmer scattered seed in four different areas and it was the, it was the good soil where the seed grew good roots and deep roots. And the, what, the parable about the man who built his house upon the sand and then in contrast upon the rock. That word strengthened in your faith is also translated as established and made secure. The, uh, the Passion Translation uh, says it this way. In the same way you have received Jesus, our Lord and Messiah, by faith, continue your journey of faith, progressing further into your union with him. Your spiritual roots go deeply into his life as you are continually infused with strength, encouraged in every way. For you are established in the faith you have absorbed and enriched by your devotion to him. There's that picture of the roots as our roots go down deep into the soil of our life in Jesus, that there is an enrichment, there is an absorption that comes as we go deeper and deeper into the life of Jesus. So basically, Paul's coming at this from multiple angles, but the theme is be rooted, be rooted, be rooted. Proverbs 12, 12 says this, what the wicked construct finally falls into ruin while the roots of the righteous give life and more life. So Paul's saying, take what you've been taught Go deeper, keep going, go deeper into Jesus, go further into Jesus, get stronger in Jesus. Your roots in Jesus is where your life is, and more life. N.T. Wright, who uh, is a theologian, and Chris referred to him as well last week, says this, being a Christian is like riding a bicycle, unless you go forward, you'll fall off. And as followers of Jesus, at every stage in life, what we most deeply need is nothing more and nothing less than Jesus. Be rooted, stand firm and strong so that you are overflowing in thanksgiving. Paul's talked a lot about Thanksgiving, actually, so far in Colossians, hasn't he? And uh, there are a lot of, um, like, thankfulness and gratitude, like, quotes that are about that, um, I don't know about you, we've got, like, a little one framed at home, and it says, start each day with a grateful heart, and it's a lovely, it's a lovely sentiment. Um, And... But Paul's not just talking about, he's not talking about how we are able to shift our own perspective through good habits or through intentionality. If you remember from two weeks ago, Nick talked about suffering and Paul really, like really, really knows how to, what it's like to suffer, like really, really knows what it's like to suffer. And everything that he went through for the sake of spreading the good news about Jesus, in the world's logic, he would have the absolute right to be the most depressed, despondent, hopeless man in all of history. 
I mean, I think even just the one time that he received the, the 40 lashes minus one would have been enough to do it. But he received it three times. And that's just, that's not even all of it. But instead, he's encouraging the Colossians not just to be, oh, be thankful. He's encouraging them to have an overflow of thanksgiving. And he's not even saying, intentionally choose thankfulness because it's a great mood changer. He's saying, abound in it. Let it overflow in you. Why is he saying that? Like, why? And, and how? Like, how can you be thankful in the middle of, like, the stuff that life can throw at you? Because Paul knows firsthand what it's like to live a life fully devoted to Jesus. Fully rooted in Jesus clinging to Jesus and how when you live from out of that position, your perspective changes. Your thinking becomes renewed by the Holy Spirit. You are able to see the bigger picture when you're clinging to Jesus. You are able to see the hand of God at work in your life, around your life, when you are rooted in Jesus You're able to see the goodness of God and reject anything that might try to pull you, pull us in a different direction. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. I'm going to read that from the message translation as well because elemental spiritual forces just is a bit like, whoa. Um, so let's go. Oh, did I not? Maybe I didn't put the message on there. I will read it to you. Um, watch out for people who try to dazzle you with big words and intellectual double talk. They want to drag you off into endless arguments that never amount to anything. They spread their ideas through the empty traditions, this is deceit in other translations, of human beings and the empty superstitions of spirit beings. But that is not the way of Christ. Now, the term philosophy was used really broadly in the ancient world and often referred to teachings or beliefs. So it could, and it covered a huge spectrum. So on the one hand, it it could be referring to uh, the teachings of uh, the Jewish leaders, the uh, Sadducees and the Pharisees. Their teachings were often referred to as philosophies. And even on the, like, other end of the spectrum, a magician could could be called a philosopher. So Paul's warning to the Colossians against this deceptive philosophy, the subtle arguments. He's saying, see that no one takes you captive. That's really strong language. He could have said, oh, just don't pay them any attention, just ignore them. But he's saying, don't let them take you captive. The, uh, the word in the original written language uh, is, uh, for take you captive is the word silagogio, uh, which means to gain control of by carrying off as spoils. 
So Paul is saying, don't let yourself be carried off away from the truth that you have in Jesus. You have the ultimate treasure. Don't let anyone steal that away from you. But here's where Paul gets really clever. It's this play on words thing here again. So that word syllagogio is very, very close to the word synagogue, which is the place of Jewish teaching and worship. Now, this is where context, we've talked about the importance of context in Bible study. It helps us to, to give us some understanding. So not too far from Colossae was um, a region in the north of what is now modern-day Turkey um, called Galatia. And in Galatia, there was a really strict Jewish stream of teaching that were telling Christians that in giving their yes to Jesus, it wasn't enough. They basically got 50% of the deal. So in order to get the full deal, they needed to be circumcised and keep to the law of Moses. So about, it's, it's in about three books before Colossians in the New Testament. Paul wrote a whole letter to the Galatians, and I'm going to completely paraphrase, but he basically says, no, what are you doing? That's an absolute load of rubbish. And you're not going to add... You're not going to add anything else to what you already have. You have Jesus. Jesus is enough, and he's everything that you need. If you go down that route, then you're refusing to acknowledge that everything of who Jesus is and what he has done for you is relevant. It's going to stunt your growth. Now, um, that's all I'm going to say about it because I don't want this to like, encroach on Chris Tatton's talk for next week. So, but if you, want to, if you want to get ahead for next week, uh, you can read a little bit about that from verse 11. But we can see that this particular stream of argument had reached the church in Colossae. And if you remember, the church in Colossae are mainly made up of non-Jews. So they'll be hearing this teaching and thinking, oh, we're non-Jews, like... Maybe this stuff, maybe we need this stuff as well, and then we've got like the full package. So, what Paul's doing here, he's taken those two words that sound incredibly similar, he's playing with them a bit. It's a bit like a spiritual father dad joke. (laughs) I kind of hope that as the Colossians were kind of reading this out among themselves, that they'd be reading it and go, oh, yeah, yeah, it's a good one. Essentially, what theologians believe that he is doing here is warning the Colossians against being lured into the synagogue, being lured into um, a belief that they, that they need something else to give them the full deal. Now, Paul's comments here are focused particularly on what, what the church in Colossae were dealing with at the time. And it'd be really easy to read that, to understand the context of that and think, oh, great, and then move on. But I don't believe that it's any less relevant for us nearly 2,000 years later. We are surrounded by so many different philosophies. I don't think a lot of them are even called philosophies. Like, we wouldn't even think, oh, that's a philosophy, that's a philosophy. But in our culture, so many of these Philosophies are focused on pleasure, happiness, comfort, self, freedom. And a lot of it appeals to a world 
that is searching desperately for identity and purpose. I don't know about um, you, but I, um, I often see on my Facebook news feed um, a number of uh, posts that go around. Um, they're like identity tests or like destiny tests. Um, and uh, I saw one the other day. It was like a, jum- a jumble of random words like you'd see in like a word search. Uh, and it said something like, the first three words you see reveals who you are. Um, there, are so, there are so many out there. And, you know, take this test to discover what this year holds for you. Personally, I think it's an absolute load of rubbish. And sure, like, a lot of people end up doing it because you're bored, you're just scrolling, you're just like, oh, it's like, I'll just tap on that and do that, like, I've got nothing else to do, it's harmless. But if we make, if we make Jesus our everything, why on earth would we give even a second of our time to these tests, when we have the creator of the universe who can speak destiny and identity into our lives. That's not to guilt trip anyone, like if anyone in the room or online has ever taken that, these, those tests, that's not to guilt trip you, but it's a, it's a valid question, like why would we, why would we look to these tests? Why would we look to these things that we just do mindlessly? Oh, it, you know, it doesn't cause any harm. I don't know. I think it might do. I think if you're willing to give your time to taking a test like that, why wouldn't you give your time to ask Jesus what this year holds for you? Why wouldn't you give your time to ask Jesus your identity? Tell me, Jesus. Tell me who I am. A couple of weeks ago, Nick talked a bit about how Jesus said that if we want to find our life, it starts with surrender. And uh, false teaching, these, these philosophies that some of them like, might have like little half-truths in them, these subtle threads of thinking in culture often appeal to the places that we are not surrendered, where we are leaning away, however slightly, where we are leaning away from Jesus being our everything and we are looking elsewhere. Here's another couple, like these are often like, just like, you know, picture posts that I see on social media. I can be anything I want to be. I am master of my own identity, of my own destiny rather, and I can make my life anything I wish it to be. It's a subtle half-truth which, as Chris spoke about last week, is much, that those half-truths are much harder to deal with. Because you take a phrase like that, I can be anything I want to be, yes, to some extent, because you have freedom of choice. Like, God's given that to you. But Paul writes to the Corinthians, my life is not my own. He writes to the church in Philippi, to live is Christ. It's so subtle, these half-truths, but what I believe it appeals to is a fear that God isn't as good as he says he is and a pride that I know that what's best for me and I'm going to have what I want. Paul is saying here, whatever you hear, this is the acid test. Is it in line with the king?
Does it have Jesus the Messiah, the true Lord and Son of God, at its center and focus? Because if it doesn't, you need to be cautious. This is like such a beautiful father moment. He's kind of like, it's like that sit-down conversation at the dining table of like, let's, let's have a chat. I'm seeing you kind of leaning away from Jesus into this stuff. Let's come back. You need to be aware of that. Let's move on to verse 9 and 10. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. This is such a contrast. On the one hand, you have empty and hollow arguments and philosophies attempting to persuade you that you're missing something, then Jesus, all the fullness, complete, nothing missing, wholeness of God is in Jesus. Just just think of, like, stay on that just for a minute. All of the fullness, complete Nothing missing, wholeness of God is in Jesus. It is, it's how Jesus could say, if you've seen me, then you've seen the Father. Because the full essence of God the Father lives in the bodily form of Jesus. That's what that word deity means in this context. It's not just an attribute. It's not like a title. It is the, it's the sum total. It's the completeness of being God. And in Jesus, you have been brought to fullness. Other translations say you have been filled or you have been made complete in Christ. How amazing is this? We have been made complete Our fulfillment is in Jesus. We don't need to add anything else. We are complete in him. We are completed in him. This section here is is like the epicenter of Paul's letter to the Colossians. That you can rest in the sufficiency of Jesus' love in his redemption, in his power. You can rest and enjoy him. You are complete in him. There is like a, oh, moment here. He is the head over every power and authority. Earlier in this letter, Paul explains that uh, Christ is the head over the church, and he expands on that here by saying that his headship extends over everything. And in his letter to the Ephesians that he wrote at a similar time to uh, this letter to the church in Colossae, Paul goes into a little bit more detail. God seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in this present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church. That word head is used to refer to a superior rank. Now, in the translation that we've used, that sentence, he is head over, the, over every power and authority, 
In this translation, it kind of it looks like it stands a bit on its own, and I think that uh, it could lead us to passing over it with a little bit less wonder than Paul was hoping to evoke. So I'm going to look at a slightly different translation. This is the ES uh, the ESV English Standard Version. And it says this, and this is all one sentence, for in him the whole fullness of the deity dwells bodily and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. Now this is crazy. Paul's basically saying the fullness of God is embodied in Jesus. He's head over every power, every rule, every authority, whether that's in the natural or the supernatural. He upstages them all, and you have been made complete in him. You have been filled in him. So every follower of Jesus, filled to completion in Jesus, who is filled with the fullness of God, shares in his power and authority. You might need to like dig out your Pentecost in a Pentecostal person, like stand on your chairs. Come on. <laughs> this is why Jesus so Jesus said in Luke ten nineteen, Look, I have given you authority over all the power of the enemy. His, I, I, I don't know about you, I've, um, growing up, I've always often thought of like Jesus' authority, knowing that it's been given to me, but I, I've almost looked at it as a bit of an ID card that you'd like show to like sickness, you'd show to demons, be like, woo, and they'd be, they'd be like, okay. But it, it's not that, because he never intended it for, it to, for it to be like that, like an ID card. His authority has been given to you, it's been put inside of you so that when every other power and authority in the natural or the supernatural looks at you they see the authority of Jesus you have everything you need absolutely everything there is nothing missing No other authority, whether in the natural or the supernatural, can go over Jesus' head, as it were, and impose itself on you. Now, I think that could lead to some really big questions, particularly around the subject of healing. That's just for a start. We don't really have time to go into that now, but as you chew that over, I just really encourage you to keep in mind what Nick said a couple of weeks ago, that either Jesus is who he says he is, or he's a liar. Either Jesus says you are who he says you are, or he's lying. So how can we recapture the enoughness of Jesus in our lives? What does it look like for us to have our lives so rooted and enriched by our devotion to Jesus? What does it look like for us to go deeper and further in Jesus? And I'm coming into land here. Three things. We have received Jesus. Now let's go further and deeper and stronger. I believe that Jesus wants to captivate our hearts again. 
the amount that I am captivated by something or someone can be measured by the amount that I give my attention and myself to that thing or that person. Jesus is saying, come back to me. I'm your first love. Come and be captivated by me again. Live your life rooted and fully established in me, drawing from me everything that you need. Number two, make Jesus the center. Practically, how am I spending my time? How are we spending our time? These are like, (laughs) these aren't like teeny tiny little questions, are they? How am I spending my time? How do I manage my time to enable me to go deeper in Jesus? For me personally, one of the things that I've just started doing recently is, um, is time blocking. Like I've been time blocking time out in my diary to spend with Jesus. Like I, ha- I have to get it in there because otherwise I, just, I get very easily distracted. How else, could, how else could I do that? How else could you do that? What does that look like for you? And number three... Jesus is fully enough and over everything. In him, we are complete and we are lacking nothing. Is there anything that's getting in the way? Are there any old habits, uh, bad, like old patterns, bad habits? Any addictions, whether that's to social media or to exercise or to substances or alcohol what about self-sufficiency it's a big one that subtle lie I can create for myself the life that I want it's just an extension of the lie that humanity's been fed since the garden of Eden do we really want to exchange the fullness of Jesus for self-fulfillment self-love and self-acceptance. It might be fulfilling for a little while, but ultimately it's hollow and it's empty compared to the fullness that we have in Jesus. It's hard though, right? I don't know about you, I, I find I can get so easily lured into things that will make my life easy or comfortable happier and we're being bombarded with stuff like that every day aren't we but Jesus said in Matthew 7 that his way and this is where like the the good news of Jesus and following Jesus this this bit is like not very popular his way is narrow his road is narrow and it's hard there's no room on the road for that stuff but that road is the road that leads to life in all of its fullness. Complete abundance. Complete abundance. Can we stand? Apologies, we are slightly running over, but I I don't want to miss what the Holy Spirit is wanting to do in this moment. 
thanks. <laughs> yeah. Come, Holy Spirit. Father God, I thank you that you are kindness. I thank you that you are goodness. I thank you that there is not even the slightest part of your heart that is looking to guilt trip us in anything. But your heart is just crying out for us to be living in the fullness of Jesus. And I thank you, Jesus, that the moment that we said yes to you and you moved us out of darkness into light, you filled us with everything of who you are. I thank you that you have made us complete in you. For some of you, as, um, as I was talking, there are a few things that kind of almost triggered of things that you can see in your life that are, are either really subtle and small distractions or like really big distractions and they are pulling you away from looking to Jesus and from getting and finding everything that you need from Jesus. So I just invite you in this moment, you know what they are, just to bring them before God. Jesus, we choose in this moment to lay our self-sufficiency down. Jesus, would you come by the power of your Holy Spirit and captivate our hearts again? Where we have been distracted, maybe, Would you come captivate our hearts? Come, Holy Spirit. Jesus, you are everything that we need. And we confess to you that we need you. And even if even if we don't feel all the time like we like want you, like desperately want you, then we just pray that we would want to want you more. Come, Holy Spirit, would you just, would you, like, do that gardening work inside of our hearts? I have a picture of um, one of those, you know, there's one of those gardening sieves that you can, you, you kind of get up clumps of soil and you, you sieve out the soil so that uh, the stones are separated. And I believe that for some of you here in the room and online, that that is something that the Lord is inviting you into, that that is a work that he is wanting to do in your life. He's saying, let me come and help you. Let me come and tend to the soil within you and just sieve out the stones together with me. There is such kindness in his heart. There is such goodness within him. He wants nothing more than us all living, rooted, devoted to Jesus and living in the fullness of the life of Jesus. And if there's anyone in the room or online who has never said yes to Jesus, has never received Jesus as the, as the one who who you can give your whole life to and who would come and fill you with his fullness. Then I would love to just pray for you now. And if you're in the room and that applies to you, then I'd love, I'd love to talk to you at the end. Um, but if you're online, 
and this is relevant for you, please head over to church online. Someone would love to pray for you there. Well, I'll just pray for you now. Lord Jesus, for anyone who is wanting to give their yes to you, as they say, yes, Jesus, that that invitation would be all that you require to come and to fill and to come and draw into a place of abundance and into a place of life, out of darkness into light, from old into new. Thank you, God. Amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast today, and we hope you enjoyed it. For more information, visit ashfordvineyard.org or maybe drop into something if you're nearby. In the meantime, have a great week and know just how loved you are.